Good morning, church. I, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks. I was in Africa and then Israel briefly. Uh, we're training some pastors in Sierra Leone, uh, Uganda, Malawi, and e- Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And it, it was a rich time. If you, if you were praying at all for that time, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Dear, dear pastors I was with. The, the big disadvantage for me was that I missed the first five games of the World Series, which was really tough. So if I'd wake up in the middle of the night, uh, the game was just starting about 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. My, my time. I'd check the scores, ESPN, but it wasn't the same. So I was glad to get back for the last two games. And wasn't that too exciting that we won the World Series? That was just so great. Yay, God. Uh, what else? Oh, at the end of the trip, I got a chance to visit our kids in, who live in Israel. We, our oldest daughter, her family, moved to Israel this summer with the oil company. I don't know if Mike's in the house this morning. He's actually over here for a bit, but... Um, it was great to see them. Our purpose as a church, I just want us all to be crystal clear on it. Love Jesus, journey together and bring hope to the world. Love Jesus that we want to love the Lord like he's never been loved before. This means that we meet with him daily, prayer, Bible reading to draw close to him. This means we gather weekly like this to seek his face together. It means generous giving, grateful because of a bloodstained cross. Journey together means we band together in groups, uh, home church groups, all kinds of groups, so that we can grow in Christ better. It doesn't happen apart from that. So we can care for one another, so we can together serve those outside the church. We want to take church home. And then thirdly, we want to bring hope to the world. This is all we do to bring the love of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus to people, sort of the, like the things that Joey was just talking about. It includes our top five, which I ask us if we could pray for five non-Christian friends, maybe folks who don't yet know Christ daily. It includes all we do in our neighborhoods, our city, around the world. It's, it's making disciples, which is simply helping lost people come to Christ and helping believers grow in Christ. And that can be children, students, or adults, but all of us are part of that thing. So that's our threefold purpose. Love Jesus, journey together, bring hope. We're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. If you would pray with me, God is here in our midst. So with all your hearts, full voice, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, there is no one like you. There is no one that can be compared to you. You're the incomparable, incomprehensible, infinite, holy, sovereign God of all glory. Lord, you do all things well. You love us perfectly. You've sent your own son to die on a bloody cross to pay for our sins. Lord, we bless your holy name. Worship and adore. Lord, you care about every single one of us. You know all that's in our hearts. Would you please meet us this morning? Every one of us, Lord, would you please speak to us? Would you please rescue and deliver people, whatever the needs are? Lord, we thank you. There's just one church in the city, Christ Church. 
Well, this weekend we're praying for Declaration Church, their pastor, John Sherrill, church plant of ours over east of the, of the freeway. Lord, we're praying also for Shandell Block in Taiwan, teaching students from our own church. Would you bless Shandell? Papa, we love you, and we want to love you more. Lord, would you speak to us, speak to us by your Spirit and through your Holy Word. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, of all the passages in Scripture that touch on marriage, the Mount Everest is Ephesians 5. It is the grandest, most glorious, most important, richest passage on marriage in the Bible. And we're spending five weeks on it. This is week four. Uh, before I jump in, I, I, I want to... I want to express that the church in America, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to heeding the owner's manual, is doing a pitiful job. Divorce rate since the 60s. Family fragmentation. I mean, we know it's true in society, but it's true in the church also. And it is easy for you and me to gloss over these things and say, I've got this. I got that. I've heard that before. And yet us not be, give rapt attention to what God says about marriage. We need to give all attention. And we're going to see the richness that God wants for us this morning. So, in week one, we came to the first movement of the passage, which is addressed to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as in the Lord. And by the way, that passage, that, those three verses, 22 through 24, is not only neglected, it's attacked even by folks in the church. This is what it means. It means, uh, wives, get behind your husbands. Wives, support your husbands. Respect your husbands. Uh, uh, give him your respect, and, and, and follow him. And then beginning in verse 25 through 33, he's a, the challenge goes to husbands, even more elaborated, three times, husbands, love your wives. Love your, three times, love your wives. And that uh, ch challenge to every one of us. He tells us in the first the outset of that passage, that was week two, to the model for us as husbands loving our wives is the way Christ loved us, the church. Sacrificial love, sacrificial love shown the cross. Now, for him, he died for us. For us, that probably means we need to live for our spouses. We need to uh, put them first. We need to be more focused on their welfare and happiness than our own. Now, that is completely counter intuitive, countercultural, counterhuman, and we need the grace of God for that. And then in the next week, week three, he elaborated something that's really neglected in the church, and I would say this, I feel like I've neglected it as a pastor for you, but this is, this is what his point is. When it comes to loving your spouse, the measure of that love is your spouse's growing in Christ-likeness. 
That's what the passage says. It says Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. That means to make her holy. That is to make her more and more Christ-like. Because that is the best thing for your spouse, to become more and more like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's their good. And so when it comes to loving your spouse, it's not giving them a bunch of stuff uh, or having a... um, a lot of recreation time together. God can use all of that. It is helping your spouse towards Christ. That is the measure of our love. It's transformation. Now, when it comes to loving, if a wife submits to her husband, she will serve him, support him, sacrifice for him, and put him first. If a husband loves his wife, he will support her, serve her, sacrifice for her, and put her first. And so they converge in many ways. Submit and love. Now, they're not identical. There is a real spiritual responsibility that we husbands have before God, but they, they, they practically work out in much the same place of putting your spouse before yourself in very practical and tangible ways. And uh, we need help with that. We need the grace of God. We need the Spirit of God, but He is in us to do that. Marriage is not ordained by God to accumulate possessions, but to develop persons, to develop disciples who become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, with that as a background, we come to week four, week four or five. If you'd stand with me, I want to read our passage for today. It's in verses 28 through 30 of Ephesians 5. 528, in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. This is God's Word. Please be seated. All righty. He's been talking about Christ loving the church, and he says, in the same way. Husbands, love your wife. So, so in the same way that Christ loved the church, that is you and me, fervent, fierce, tender, affectionate love, sacrificial love, husbands, love your wives in the same way. So our example, again, our example, as we saw earlier in 25, we see it in 28, our example is Christ. We look at Christ. That's how to love. He's my model. He's my example. By the way, that's not only true for husbands, it's true for wives. We've seen that by implication. Wives certainly love their husbands. Is that not the second commandment for all human beings, to love your neighbors yourself? And for you wives, wouldn't your husband be at the top of that list of neighbors? Besides that, five, one, and two cause us all to be loving. So certainly, it's reciprocal. And our model is Jesus Christ, His sacrificial love, which is so high. Now, if my model, if I'm looking at Jesus Christ to know how to love my wife, people looking at me would see an example, hopefully, of the way Christ loves us. And so now we're coming to the deepest heart of marriage. That marriage, by implication this week and explicitly next week, marriage is to be a picture of the way God loves us. 
Okay, let's just, let's just let that process, let's, let's, let's grasp that because here we come to the most profound meaning of marriage. Marriage is not for yourself. It's not about you. It's not even about your spouse. It is about the glory of God. It is about uh, being a demonstration, a living demonstration of the sort of unselfish love, sacrificial love that Christ has for us as humans. When God sees Gail and me interrelating with each other and sees an affection for each other, they ought to get some idea of the tender affection that God has for you and God has for me. And when they see the sort of intimacy and the oneness that Gail and I have more than with any other human beings, it would be with Gail and me, they ought to get some sense that God in heaven wants to have an intimacy with you. So they're going to see the glory of God. John Piper put it this way when he said, the main meaning of marriage is to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and the church. In other words, marriage was designed by God in the deepest, most important sense to be a parable or a drama of the way Christ loves His church and the way He calls the church to love Him. This is the most important thing for all husbands and wives to know about the meaning of their marriage. The most important thing. So uh, what's my marriage all about? It is not uh, primarily about my welfare and fun. Oh, God wants that to be there. Be there. It is about the glory of God, seeing who God is. They may not read the Bible, but they ought to see something of God in your marriage. How are you doing? How are we doing? Challenge to each of us. So, in the passage so far, we've had one basic illustration of a husband's love for his wife, and that is Christ's love for the church. But in our verse 28, at the end of the verse, it's going to kind of merge into a second illustration. Love your wives as you love your own bodies. That's what 28 says. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, that doesn't sound very spiritual to me. Does it to you? Now, the first one does. Love the way Christ loved the church to the cross. But this one, you know, Jeff, love Gail the way you love your own body. Um, but it's practical and it's realistic, isn't it? Because we love our own bodies naturally. We take a, there's no command here to love your own, own body. There is an assumption that you do love your own body. Just like in the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command to love yourself. There's an assumption that you love yourself. Do you love your body? Yes, you do. When you're sleepy, you try to sleep. When you're hungry, you try to eat. When you're thirsty, you try to drink. When you touch something hot, you pull back. When you're tired, you try to rest. We take care of our bodies. And God says to you and me, take care of your spouse that way. He says to us husbands, he says, take care of her. Be solicitous of how you can serve her. Be attentive to where she might be vulnerable. Be uh, prioritizing her welfare and vice versa. Take care of your spouse. Care for her, protect her, provide for her, encourage her, bless her, serve her, help her. All of that says tender love. I'm pretty tender with my body, if there's any pain involved, and, and be tender, tender love in your marriage. So 
ask yourselves, husbands and wives, what, what does she need from me? What does he need from me? Tender love. Then he goes on to add a bit. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so, it's sort of that reciprocal nature. The, the better I love Gail, the better it is for me. And it, it, God doesn't say it's wrong. He it just says human nature. And, and it reflects Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will, love, will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh, which is quoted right after our passage in verse 31. So he's referring to that passage that as a husband and a wife uh, commit to each other in love, they, they are looked at by God as they're one, no longer two. They're one. And they deepen that oneness the rest of their lives. And so to love your spouse like this is to, is to love yourself. It's as if God was saying, it is just smart to love your spouse. When you love your spouse, you are helping yourself. When you focus not on yourself, but on your spouse, that's the best thing for you too. John Piper again makes this point. The problem is not that we seek uh, our own pleasure in marriage. The problem is we do not seek our pleasure in the pleasure of our spouse. That is, if you would focus on her pleasure, his pleasure, you're going to get the most pleasure back. That's just the way God designed it. As we empty ourselves in unselfishness, uh, we're going to benefit and we're going to receive. So he who loves his wife loves himself. He goes on another step. For no one, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So he's going to go back to the uh, Christ church analogy. Uh, well, as well as with the loving your body analogy. So here's how Christ loved the church. A new thought here, he nourishes and cherishes. He nourishes you. He cherishes you. That's Christ's heart for you. And that is to be the way we love our spouse, nourish and cherish. Those two terms were used in the nursery school. They're used of a mother caring for a baby. Now, this past three days, Gail and I have had our 18-month-old granddaughter, Wren, and so we've been doing some nourishing and some cherishing. And, you know, we, we just take delight in anything she does, mostly. And um, uh, we, we're gentle with her, we're tender with her, we're nourish and cherish. Now, those are tender terms. So what does that mean in marriage? Kindness, patience gentleness. I mean, uh, lashing out in temper, that, that's not nourishing and cherishing. That's not very kind and gentle. Certainly, it would be attentive. You know, if Ren just tries to talk something, you know, we're, we're all ears trying to say, what, what's she saying? So, it, it's listening. Uh, it'd be putting your spouse as a priority if you're going to nourish and cherish, just like a newborn. Like a newborn, just be tender, caring, and loving. It seems to me that of that uh, ways that nourishing, cherishing are going to be expressed, that there are a couple of things that are really vital in marriage. Uh, one would be listening. I mean, that's tender love, when you listen to understand. Do you guys, uh, are you all familiar with uh, the founder of eHarmony? Well, it was just a regular Christian marriage counselor, Neil Warren. And in fact, he had written my favorite book on marriage. And then he starts eHarmony and makes a gazillion dollars. And 
he, he said this about um, listening in marriage. I believe that virtually every marriage in North America would be several times better if the two people were simply to improve their listening skills. I venture to say that more wonderful moments are experienced in a marriage because two people learn how to really listen to one another than because of any other one thing. Something magical happens inside of most people when they are listened to. Now, does that not ring true? That listening is powerful. How many of us could stand to improve a little bit in their listening? Yeah, just, just all of us could, couldn't we? Including in marriage. I could. Y'all knows I could. Uh, it, sometimes it's just very simple things, but that's what it means to be nourishing and cherishing. The second thing that I want to highlight when it comes to being nourishing and cherishing is just simply forgiving each other because, you know, you, you can't be married more than a few weeks, probably a few days, and you've got to learn to forgive because, you know, they're, they're so imperfect and so flawed, and they're not like me, and, um, and so we just got to be good forgivers. And, and here's the truth. Most of us are not good forgivers, and I'm not. I think it is the hardest work of love, and yet it is so vital. Satan is using anger and unforgiveness to fragment families and bring great pain to children and to their parents. He is. And so every married couple has a lot to forgive. And the problem is, is that in our self-righteousness and in our high and mightiness, we just can't forgive or not really forgive. And you cannot have a thriving marriage that you long for without being a great forgiver. And so some of you, you ought to be hearing this as the Spirit of God this morning speaking to your heart because some of you, it is ruining your marriages, your kids, and your life. Your refusal to forgive. And all of us could raise the bar. Every Sunday morning... I kneel here, and you say with me the fourth, fifth request. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that includes your spouse. And really, are we so special, so holy that we cannot forgive people? who've sinned against us when God in heaven is willing to forgive all of our sins? I mean, get off your high horse and forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You are ruining your life because you're listening to the voice of Satan. Forgive. Maybe some of us today need to start over in marriage. Make, wipe the decks clean. Do business with God and with each other. Nourish and cherish as Christ loved the church. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, here are the two illustrations 
converge, they merge. Christ's bride is Christ's body. We are not only Christ's bride as the church, we're Christ's body, by the way, the centrality of the church. And Christ not only loves his bride, he loves his body, just as we're to love our body. And when we love our spouse, we love our own body. So just again, the call, practical, a fervent, wholehearted, realistic uh, love for your spouse and all, all that you've got. So church, what is God saying to us this morning? Well, let me say this. Many of you are single, and despite our culture and despite so much of church culture in the United States, you are in no way second-class Christians. For heaven's sakes, Jesus was single. Paul was single. You are complete in Christ, single or married. There are advantages to singleness, so let's just be real clear on that. But we all know that we are part of a community and a body, and marriages are in trouble, and we need help. And besides, you might be married one day yourself, but, but no second-class citizens here. Okay, what's he saying to husbands and wives? He's saying, love your spouse with all you've got. Love her, love him wholeheartedly, fervently, tenderly. Give yourself to it. Husbands, your main thing in your life is not your career. Same for wives. Wives, the main thing in your life is not your kids because you have entered sacred matrimony. And when that pastor pronounced you husband and wife, God made you one. And you're forever to be a display of the glory of God in the way God is a lover. And so husbands, let's step up to the plate more than ever. Wives, step up to the plate more than ever. Give yourself to this. Your life is not about having a great retirement one day. It is about loving your spouse the way Christ has loved us with all we've got. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, listening, unselfishness, nourish and cherish, encouraging and affirming, having fun together, laughing together all that you can to help your spouse become more and more like Jesus Christ, which at the heart of it is ourselves being the example of chasing after Jesus with all we've got. Husbands and wives, don't waste your marriage when you could have so much richness come back to you, but give yourself to it. You've got everything you need in Christ to have a great marriage. If you need to start over, start over. If you need freedom prayer, healing prayer, get healing prayer. You need to get in a small group to help you walk together, do that. Whatever it takes. Go for it with all your hearts. Let me close with this story. It is a story of one of our presidents, Andrew Jackson. Now, many of you, which I love, were born in other countries. You didn't grow up studying about the U.S. presidents. But Andrew Jackson was our seventh president. Uh, I think he took office 1824 or something like that. All right, here's the thing with Andrew Jackson. If we had a warrior of a president, it would be Jackson. Flawed man, for sure, like all the rest of the presidents. But when he was a teenager, he fought in the Revolutionary War in the Carolinas, was wounded as a teenager. And then as he went to the uh, backwoods, uh, Tennessee at that time, uh, the wilds of Tennessee, he fought Indians a lot here and there, became a general led the U.S. troops against the British troops at a great battle at New Orleans in 1812. 
uh, and was the military hero, and that's why we have a Jackson Square today in New Orleans. Okay, this man uh, had a temper, and uh, at that time, when men had, uh, you know, got sideways, they might fight a duel. Now, he fought in several duels, and a duel was life or death sort of a situation at 10 paces. So 10 paces, that is, you know, something here, taking 10 steps over to about right here, and you turn and point a gun at somebody and fire at it, fire at him. Now, how crazy is that? But Andrew Jackson fought several duels because sense of honor and things. All right, that's who he was. However, with his wife, Rachel, he had the most tender, gentle love relationship. Andrew Jackson knew how to love a woman. I've read a couple of biographies, uh, biographies of Jackson. One of his biographers, H.W. Brands, wrote, The Jacksons were soulmates. Their affection for each other was of the tenderest kind. The general always treated her as if she were his pride and glory, and words can faintly describe her devotion to him. When they were separated, they missed each other terribly. They would pine for each other. They'd write the tender, tender love letters. She, Rachel, dies before Andrew Jackson does, and when she dies and, 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 she, and he embraces her, he embraces her so tightly that his arms had to be pried off of her body. And one friend of his said he looked 20 years older the next day. Such was the fervent love that he had for his wife. No doubt, she was the most important thing in his life. Now, some of you feel like you've got awfully important lives and jobs. Well, you're not the U.S. president. And if he can prioritize his marriage, so can we, wives and husbands. So Andrew Jackson was a military hero. He was a U.S. senator. He was the U.S. president. He was by far the most famous man in America of his time, and his main passion in life was to love his wife. Husbands here, wives here, outside God himself, your main priority is your marriage, is your spouse. Love him, her with all you've got for the glory of God so people can see that God is a loving God. Stand with me, please. Before I pray, um, some of you have been through some painful divorces. And every one of us who have been married have fallen short. And there's, you will do nobody any good if you walk out of here guilt-laden. Uh, you'll be listening to the voice of Satan. Because the gospel says that Jesus Christ has washed me whiter than snow. And you too. And so, fresh start, fresh start. If you're married now, if you've been married in the past, fresh start. Claim the grace of God, and so you can now be free to love the way Christ has called you to love. Pray with me. Lord, help us. Help me, because we need it. But, oh God, we want to please you. We want to glorify you. We want to, to, to honor 
your love for us. Help us, help us to really focus on loving our spouses the way you've called us to. Mm. Bring healing, bring forgiveness, bring fresh start, Lord, whatever the need is. Bless the marriages here this morning and in the future, I pray in Christ's name.